us my first guest this morning is Matt Murphy from Chagas and Matt is in the Clanmel office and uh, today Matt I suppose we should start talking about the new regulations with regard to the uh, new TAMs. Yeah look Jim I suppose in um, February there was 2023 so last year and they announced uh, what you call TAMs 3 so TAM 3 will run from 23 up until um, 2027. So I suppose the items available under TAM 3 are linked back to kind of climate, the environment, animal welfare and health and safety. Um, I suppose within that there are 10 individual schemes within TAM 3. Uh, I suppose there's what you call say animal welfare, uh, nutrient schemes, then that's kind of a 40% mm-hmm. grant. And a lot of the and what's a young farmer investment scheme is at 60% women farming capital investment scheme, that's at 60% as well. And under these, what you say, underneath these schemes, there's um, animal housing, automatic scrapers, um, family of manure pits, silage pits, slurry storage, and an awful lot more. Then following on from that, then you have a farm safety as well comes into it. Yeah, so what you farm safety, that was a big one now that the Change was the women, the women, the women farmers, what's called investment and young farmer and the health and safety are all 60% grant. Um, I, yeah, with the 6% grant now, it's 60% of the reference cost. So every item on TAMS has a, a reference cost and it's 60% of the reference cost. So if you go for something, say that's high, say high spec or whatever it may be. And yeah. that extra bit more, it's only 60% of the reference cost which the department has set out. So for TAMS 3, there was new reference costs done up based on, I suppose, change of prices of Mr. Wachkos, the concrete and equipment and everything else. So they have slightly changed then. There wasn't a, refer- a reference mark until this particular TAMS 3. Yeah, so they just changed it. The logical reference cost and it's kind of changed up. Link more back to what the cost and stuff is now. Yeah, okay. To the new cost. The young farmer and that, um, it's available for farmers between the age of 18 and 40. So you have to be under what you call 41 at the time of application to be eligible for the young farmer at 60% grant. And the women and farmers then has to be between the ages of 18 and 66. And for that then as well, you have to have been either under hard number prior to 2022 or as a uh, Going forward, then you'd have to, if you were on it after that, you'd have to have a green sort to logical to avail the 60% grant with the, the women in farming. Right. And taking those first ones in particular, uh, because they're all basically a major development, at, uh, up to what level of funding is available? Yeah, so for what you could say, individuals, it's 90,000 you're feeling. And then for anyone in partnerships, it's 160,000 is your feeling. Right, okay. So that's kind of the range that you're, you have. But then again, with the solar panels and low emissions, the two of them are seen as two separate feelings. So if you have, you have the 90,000, say, within TAMS, but then if you go for solar or you go for low emissions, sorry, spread in TAMS, they are two separate feelings. So they won't be eaten into your 90,000. They don't eat into the 90,000 that you would be using primarily for slurry storage or a new cubicle house or whatever the, whatever the case may be. Another thing that uh, probably is causing some farmers concern at the moment, 
and that is the amount of soil water storage that they have on the farm and given that there are new regulations with regard to that coming in for the winter of 2024. Yeah, it was another thing Beats and then it said the equipment scheme granted there but to avail of that you have to have 10% extra slurry storage for that so mm-hmm. with the new rules uh, regarding side water and that it's going to be harder for people to have that extra 10% storage for that going forward as well. Yeah, and of course, if they don't do something about it and they have soil water and they have nowhere to put it during that closed period, they're going to have to put that into their tanks. And then, of course, yeah. that, that, that has to conform with whatever the slurry spreading times are for uh, 2024, 25. Yeah, so if it's going in, if the, what's called, if the dairy washings are going in with slurry that's ah. best store all dairy washing then for 16 weeks period with the slurry because it's cast a slurry then. I presume then we would be advising farmers who think they're short on soil water storage that, that uh, they should be availing of this new TAMS. Oh, they should, yeah. Just the biggest thing then is having the water come make sure they had the 10% extra storage before they can make the application for it to be valid. Right, okay. Now, getting to the farm safety element of it, uh, what kind of equipment uh, is covered under the farm safety? Yeah, look, there's cam, cam pens, bull pens, um, cattle and sheep handling facilities, uh, light, and even what's cut down to um, the what's cut bale, uh, shear slicers is on it, and they're all down for, say, 60%. There's an awful lot more stuff you could, there's an awful lot of stuff in it, say, weighing scales, um, Cathy Hornacrest, there's an awful amount of stuff there. That's all in, and the farm safety is 60 percent grant. Again, you know, we're not talking about really big investments here. So people, if they can at all afford it, they should, you know, apply under the farm safety measure. Yeah, look, yeah, yeah everything, all this stuff is there. It's available on the times, and lots mm-hmm. of making easy. I suppose doing courses in that there, you'd be talking to farmers, and they'd often be talking about handling facilities there, yeah. and how simple things can happen say mm-hmm. and animal go down or a bar break or a death push there's a lot of stuff there mm-hmm. under the hands there to help with this say putting in on crushes and that so just all there to make things easy and so the 60 cent grant it's a massive grant for the likes of that sort of stuff and then what kind of a grant level is for the low emission slurry spreading uh low emissions there is 60% grant there, and it's at what you call your captain is 40,000 on that. So your ceiling for that is 40,000. Right. So uh, somebody can go out and buy uh, a new tanker complete with the LES equipment on the back of it, and uh, they can, uh, the, f- the first, they, they get a grant aid on the first 40,000, and if it's over 40,000, they have to fill the gap themselves. That's it. But I suppose, Jim, in that there, they changed the times then for times two and times three. The before and times two, the dribble bar was, what you could say, coming in. But they changed it now. It has to be um, a trailing shoe to avail the times on it. Another thing is then, say, if you're, depending on your night, uh, organic nitrogen figure per hectare, or depends on if you're eligible as well. So I suppose you could, years ago, to anyone in derogation could not avail of it. Say last year now, the trailing shoe was compulsory for anyone over 150. Yeah. So anyone over 150 couldn't avail of it. And now this year for 2024, it's anyone over 130 
has to use training shoes so they can't avail of it. So I suppose anyone under the 130 figure can avail of it this year and they should be looking at getting it done this year because that figure is going to change to 100. Anyone over 100 next year has to use low emissions. So and once it comes in, it's compulsory. They're not eligible for it under TAMS. You know, somebody enters into the TAMS scheme. How do they claim? Yeah, look, I suppose um, if we put the claim, do the TAMS application here or if you do it yourself, there's a couple of things that you're going to need to have. Um, a tax clearance search is one thing. Um, you have to undertake, undergo a health and safety course, um, which is, they, they often run them here in Chagas. Um, an invite for all your all the, 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 the stuff maybe that you bought and that it was stamped as being paid. And say if it's like a story thing or something like that, make sure that the serial number is matching the invite and all that, everything is matched up. And the name that's on the invite is the name of the actual person the application went in under that all the documentation basically is matching up with the application. From this morning's interview, Matthew, what are the few key points that you would consider to be absolutely vital? Look, I suppose, like that, with the low emission slurry spread, know, know exactly what your organic nitrogen figure is for the farm. You know basically where you're going, that you have, the time, you have time to get the application in, that you're not putting long finger. I suppose if you're going for investments um, such as tanks and that, the plan ahead and have your plan information and that's gone in forward prior to it, like that do not kind of trail in behind. And I suppose talking to this, the watch card, the different investments that are there to see what suits you and what's available to you, um, I suppose is a big thing. I have one last question to you. Uh, is there a closing date? Yeah, look, um, with the TAMS, there's opening dates and closing dates for each different tranche. So I suppose if you miss out on one tranche, um, it's not the end of the world because it reopens again. As, as I said, the Thames is going to run until 2027. So there'll be different tranches within the within the scheme, if you know what I mean. I do, so yeah. one, one tranche will close, another tranche will open, and then that one will be faster. The last one will be faster. The next one will close, and that will be faster. The improvements will be given out all the time. Okay, well, look, that's all very, very helpful. And I want to thank you ever so much for joining us this morning. That, listeners, was Matt Murphy from Chagas. And as I said at the beginning, Matt is in the Clonmel office. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Senator Pippa Hackett. But she is, more importantly, a Minister for State at the Department of Agriculture. And last Wednesday, the department launched the action plan arising from the National Dialogue on Women in Agriculture. And the Minister has joined me uh, to talk about it. Good morning, Minister, and thanks very much for joining us here on TIP FM. Good morning, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Minister. Thank you very much. And how are you doing up there in the big smoke? Oh, I'm doing my bit, yeah, doing well. Uh, we're all busy and, uh, you know, getting uh, get, getting busier as we go along, but it's all well, yes. Thanks, okay, Jim. and of course, t- going for the other announcement this week that some of you will be uh, going around the world on St. Patrick's Day. Are you leaving the country? I am. I have a trip uh, to Finland, to Latvia and Estonia. So I'm sort of on the Nordic uh, programme for for St. Patrick's Day. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, Not overly mad about the long haul flight. So happy enough that that's a a shorter trip. But I think it'll be really interesting. We have a lot lot in common with Finland in terms of forestry. um, And I I think it's going to be really interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, that's good that you're looking after the foresters as well and those farmers who are growing forestry uh, for you. But anyway, let's go to the announcement on Wednesday and uh, 
the team that uh, the department have put together to implement this plan. Yeah, um, your listeners may be aware last year on St. Bridget's Day, there was a uh, one-day event. It was a national dialogue on women in agriculture. Um, and it was a really successful event where there was a number of speakers at it. And, and since that, um, and as, as a result of that, um, we've put together a um, women in agriculture working group to you know, tease out some of the issues that are, are concerning um, you know, and that, that women in agriculture find. I mean, I suppose behind every farm, there, there's a woman. Uh, she might not be seen um, she might be not be on the herd number but she's there active on the farm at that level and I suppose it's fair to say that um, agriculture as a whole is, is quite a male orientated industry um, but there's women there who are you know thinking outside the box who are innovative and it's really about bringing those women on board you know to the tables that make the decision making and I think it's a really exciting time. Right. Now, of course, a lot of points then have, have arisen from the dialogue. First of all, you have put together a very, very strong team to implement this. Yeah, I suppose we've representation, um, I suppose, across the board from, from, from industry, from state agencies, um, forest owners, um, the fishery sector. So we've tried to, I suppose, um, have a good broad sense of, of the, the, um, the, the sectors within agriculture and the agri-food sector. Um, but also we'll, there will be engagement you know, outside of that. Um, it's important we, we continue to hear from, from women uh, across the board. And, um, you know, as a woman, a female, female farmer myself um, I know what the challenges can be like I know it can be sometimes intimidating you know as a, maybe the only woman in the room when you're discussing agricultural issues and so forth so I think um, there's a lot there's a lot to come from this and certainly the women I have met um, in my role as a um, as a minister of agriculture in the department have you know certainly opened my eyes and, and you know as I said women who think outside the box who maybe make those decisions on their farms that that, that move the farm on that maybe may, may not have been there there, um, you know, those decisions may, may not have been made previously. And I think it's, um, it's up to us, I think, as a policymakers to, to put in place policies that, that support more women um, in the agriculture sector. And you have 12 points then on this plan that these experts are to work on. Yes. You know, and they all seem to be ones that should nearly automatically think of that you should be working on. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of common sense in this. And as you say, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, increasing the promotion of agriculture as a viable career for women is one of the action plans. There's a lot on there. They make sense when you see them, um, you know, in a, in a table, um, all 12 of them. I suppose maybe it's a poor reflection on where we are as a state that we actually have to put together a, a group of, of people to come up with an action plan to support women in agriculture when they do make so much sense when you see them. Um, and Unfortunately, we probably have failed in this as a state, but now is an opportunity to, to fix that and to drive on. And it's not just for women's sake we're doing this. This is about betterment of the whole agri-food sector, the whole farming sector, um, and women have a massive role to play in that. And given the direction, Minister, and I suppose they're not in any particular order here, mm -hmm. I would have taken number 12 and would put it on the t at the top of the list. Because <laughs> Yeah, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> well, we... We'll have to tell the listeners what number 12 is. Uh, Minister, number 12 reads, promote the role of women in improving sustainability for the sector, social, environmental and economic. So I think that's mm -hmm. nearly or nearly put that at the top, given the way... Probably an uh, overarching action, yeah, an over, to be yeah. honest. Uh, yes. w w yeah. w without a doubt. Now, 
Minister, you, of course, as well as being involved in this, you have two very important portfolios. Uh, You're looking after forestry and the organic sector. Um, They're going really well. I mean, organics has really, you know, I would say taken off in Ireland over the last three, three and a half years. Um, We've trebled the number of farmers involved in organics. Okay, we were coming from a low base, but we we will have over 5,000 farmers, you know, farming organically in Ireland this year. Um, We've an area of over maybe 200,000 hectares now being farmed organically. And that's delivering, uh, you know, not only for those farmers, but it's also delivering for the, the, the environment, the natural environment, the water quality, biodiversity on those farms, which is a really good, you know, that's the direction of travel we're in now, you know, sustainability, mm-hmm. uh, particularly environmental sustainability has to be, you know, figure quite significantly now as we move forward in agriculture. So that's going really well. I think that will continue to go. We have a target of, of, of 10% of the farmland of Ireland to be farmed organically by 2030. So we're at about 5% already. So we're on target for that, you know, if we keep the supports there and keep the, the knowledge flowing. And then forestry, I mean, as, as you and, you know, I'm sure your listeners would be aware, has come off a really difficult time. Um, I suppose not of, I will say not of my making. When I took office, it was a very challenging time for forestry. And I've essentially spent the last three years fixing a lot of the systems, you know, working with my department officials to to put in place uh, a licensing system that's fit for purpose. And and that has worked. We have a good licensing system now. We've cleared all those backlogs people were speaking about over the years. Um, We've cleared the the appeals issues is cleared up in terms of backlogs there. So now we have a brand new forestry programme. It's the the best ever funded one. It's aimed at farmers um, and we just really have to do our best to support farmers to plant the trees of the future. Um, and there's some really, you know, it's, it's a tax-free payment. Farmers will get 20 years um, of a really, you know, good payment, uh, tax-free and, I, I, you know, the incentives are there. And I think if any farmer listening is con- even considering forestry, look at the figures, you know, speak to your accountant or, you know, just work out the sums for yourself. Um, it's, it's, it's really worth worth looking at. You know, we can't force people to plant trees. It's demand-led, but we believe we've put in place the best possible programme to support farmers to do just that. Uh, I read during the week, Minister, that we are planting less sicta than we have been in the past. From a farmer's point of view, sicta would give the best return to the farmer for his or her investment. Yes, um, well, it would be certainly, uh, you know, it's a, got a good commercial value. Um, it's, it, it grows very well here in Ireland. And, and we, you know, to be honest, we do need more of it. We need more We need more of that sort of softwood to support our, um, you know, our construction sector in the years ahead. We know we have to decarbonise everything we do and certainly using more timber and um, in our construction sector, in our building, our homes of the future is going to be a, a must. So we certainly need to see farmers planting um, spruces. It could be Norway spruce. I have a little bit of Norway spruce ourselves at our own farm. Um, the Midlands are, are plagued with late frosts, so you have to plant a different type, but uh, mm-hmm. we certainly do need to um, to support that. But we need trees of all types, and I think I'd like to think that the programme we've put in place 
there's something in it for every farmer, you know, whether it's a small area they want to plant. You can plant now up to a hectare without the need for a licence if you're in the right part of the country. That's an option there that's very quick. We're turning those, those applications around in, you know, in a couple of weeks nearly, you know, if they're, if they're suitable. Um, and then you've things like agroforestry, which is something we haven't seen enough of in Ireland, um, but it is quite widespread across the world in Europe. Agroforestry, where the trees are spaced out quite significantly, that you can, you know, you could have, you could have livestock between them, you could grow crops, you could grow vegetables. So it's a very multifunctional way of planting trees. And there's benefits both ways. So um, as well as the commercial side, there's the, the, the native woodland schemes. So there's a lot of a lot there. Um, and farmers will only know about it if they've read about it or contact their advisor or Chagas advisor um, or, forest, or, or forest advisor as well. So I'd certainly encourage them to do that. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of happy, I mean, we hear a lot of criticism about forestry on Unfortunately, and I, I, I'm absolutely the first to admit we've come off a very challenging time, and there have been difficulties. But I think there is an opportunity now to, you know, to turn that corner and to really drive on and, and push on with planting trees. And we need our, our farmers and landowners to, to do that for us. Okay, we can't plant them in the sea anyway. We can only plant we can. them. We can. That's a good point. So I'll, I'll keep that. <laughs> keep that one minute or two. That listener was Senator Pippa Hackett who is a Minister for State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Pat O'Toole, who is the political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. And this has been rather a very busy time with regard to unrest across Europe, uh, as far as farmers are concerned. We've had the Germans, we've had the people in the Netherlands, farmers in the Netherlands. We've had farmers in France this week. And on Thursday of this week, Irish farmers have gone out in solidarity with their European counterparts. And Pat and I are going to discuss that. Pat, I know you and I had a chat about this uh, at the Dutch elections a year and a half ago or thereabouts that uh, farmers were beginning to, to get very restless. And that seems to have been built upon for the past at least six months. Yeah, definitely. Um, you're right. Those protests were in the autumn of 21. Mm-hmm. And then the Dutch elections were actually last mm, March. March. Um, so just about a year ago. But the protests have been going on all autumn for the six months prior to the election and had a pr- profound impact on that election with the BBB becoming the largest party in local government and in the Senate. Um, following on from that then were the big issue and, and the re-wetting the nature restoration laws uh, to give them their proper name and the, the Water Framework Directive and the nitrates derogation around it were the big hot issues here in Ireland across last year. <coughs> but all over Europe, uh, the new cap and ratcheting up of various environmental re- regulations and restrictions um, and the added cost to farming uh, and the impairment of uh, the ability to retrieve those costs from the marketplace or through intensification. We were having de-intensification of farming for environmental reasons and scale is no longer a, a, a solution when those things are taken away. So um, you're just compounding the problem really. If you're losing uh, at small scale, you're going to lose more at a bigger scale. So. Farmers are deeply unhappy. They're not unhappy with the notion. In general, farmers accept the concept 
mm-hmm. uh, and the reality of climate change and of the need to respond to climate change, both in their own businesses uh, to protect their businesses from the uh, effects of climate change and the vagaries of our changed climate, um, which is called uh, adaptation. But there's also mitigation where we reduce the footprint of our farms. Um, And the climate action plan we have here in Ireland is mirrored in similar plans all over Europe. Uh, Every country has that target of a 51% reduction in its uh, its CO2 footprint from 2030 compared to 2018. So this is a Europe-wide unease among farmers, not at those changes, as I say, but at the pace of those changes and the lack of support for making those changes. Uh, because farming uniquely is being directly affected. Every sector is being affected, but we're being directly affected and we can't pass on our costs. So European farmers, what really drove German farmers out on the streets last month was the proposal from the German government to scrap the uh, excise relief on agri-fuel. Uh, mm-hmm. We have it here in Ireland with the excise relief. It's in every country in Europe, um, pretty much, where in recognition of the fact that tractors don't run on roads mainly, but are running in uh, operating in fields and in farmyards, they don't pay the excise on fuel, which goes on uh, road diesel and which goes on petrol. Similarly, home heating oil is not uh, charged excise duty for the same same reason. That's why home heating oil and agri-fuel track each other up and down as prices fluctuate. So uh, the removal of that excise in one fell swoop, uh, that excise relief in one fell swoop, would have a huge impact on the cost of farming. Um, so that brought German farmers out on the streets. And that unrest has spread, as you say, protests in France and in Belgium this week. Um, and they're pretty intense. Uh, mm-hmm. Farmers are angry. They're raising huge numbers. Uh, we saw all the major arteries into Paris being blocked yesterday. And I don't know if you saw this footage of some extraordinary things going on. Um, to show that, that rewilding and um, space for nature uh, is not uh, a zero-figure uh, equation. Uh, farmers, they, they covered a road with clay and planted a crop on it mm-hmm. uh, to rewild the road and said, how do you like it when we rewild your land? Well, you don't seem to have any problem with rewilding Ireland. So um, there's fair pushback all over Europe. um, And it is about the pace of change and the lack of support for the changes that farmers are being instructed to make. Now, Pat, we know that across Europe, uh, roughly 50% of the EU countries will have elections, not to talk about uh, a European uh, election as well. Uh, do you think that this will have an effect on the outcome of elections, national ones, wherever they're being held? And above all, of course, the one we're all facing in June. It, it seems like it's having an impact. We saw, like you said, the Dutch mm-hmm. elections and the impact there. Although, interestingly, in, in the end of October, <coughs> the Dutch had their parliamentary elections right, for, yeah. uh, and the BBB saw their vote shrink massively. Uh, they went from first place in the March elections to sixth place in the autumn elections. Now, there was the emergence of the largest party now, our, our mm. far-right party. Um, and we are seeing the rise of the far-right electorally in, in many countries in Europe. And um, The far-right have tried to align themselves to farmers and have tried to claim that they are farmers' friends and that uh, 
the typically the far right is skeptical of climate change and of the need or the viability or the feasibility of Europe adapting uh, very hard climate targets. So they are saying to farmers, if you vote for us, we'll make all this go away. We will undo the regulations that you don't like. Um, I don't know if that message is taking with the broad sweep of farmers. We'll have to wait and see, but there's no doubt it's a factor and everyone's watching farmers. <coughs> there's a lot of public sympathy for farmers emerging across Europe. Um, I think in general, the prevailing mood in uh, among the general public is that farmers have a legitimate case in terms of the burden that they're being asked to carry um, and the lack of support for that burden. And everyone, I think, does accept the broad truth of the phrase, no farmers, no food. It may be very difficult, depending on what happens during the rest of this year, and maybe in particular with the European Parliament elections, that there may be some softening. And when I say softening, I agree with you, slowing down of the pace in which farmers have been asked uh, to make all these changes. Yeah, well, we've already seen Brussels has moved this week on the nature restoration law and seems to be watering down the timescale of the introduction of nature restoration changes. Mm-hmm. Um which is the first concession, I suppose, from the recent protests. There was some opinion polling done in relation to the European elections, which suggests that right-wing and far-right parties would have a working majority in the European Parliament for the first time were they to align. Now, the centre-right parties um, of the European People's Party have always aligned in the centre. They haven't looked rightwards uh, for alliances, Mm -hmm. and they have through most of our 50 years in the European Parliament, has been a sort of a, a cross-the-centre coalition between the uh, Christian Democrats, the European BPP, and the Socialists, who are typically, you know, mm-hmm. Labour. They're left, but not hard uh-huh. left. Uh, but what, what polling across Europe showed last week is that the numbers might change in the next Parliament, and the EPP may come under pressure from its right wing, to align with the right, that would be a huge shift in European politics. Um, And uh, it would mirror what we've seen in countries like the Netherlands and in Italy in recent years, and indeed the rise of the far right in Germany and France now. Interestingly, Poland, which had a far right government, unseated it last year. So there is a pattern of of governments losing power, uh, no matter which side of the spectrum they come from, which is a sign of just how uneasy people are in general. Yeah, and didn't I read someplace in Farming Press during the week that the Ag Commissioner said that irrespective of what we do here in this country with regard to water quality, there would be no changes to uh, the water quality framework that they require? There's an awful lot of talk. I mean, um, and I think that uh, there is a reality, and that is that uh, there is an acknowledgement that the steps that farmers are taking on a daily basis and have been taking for many years now, they have a slow uh, effect. It, it, it takes time for their effect to be felt because of the long lead-in time, because of the soil processes we have in this country, where nitrates typically move about 100 or 200 metres a year. Mm-hmm. So it takes time for them to get from soil to groundwater. So in many ways, the nitrates we're seeing in our uh, in our waterways now are a sign of the sins of the past rather than of the present. So 
I think that's what he's referring to. And that just shows how complex this all is and how difficult solutions will be. OK, well, look, at, we'll leave it at that. We'll be watching all the elections that take place across Europe in 2024. And I'm quite sure you and I will be talking quite a bit about it. But for now, thanks ever so much for joining us here on Tip FM. No problem, Tim. Looking forward to that. Listeners, my next guest this morning and my final guest this morning is somebody I have not had an interview with to date. She is Janine Kennedy. And Janine is a feature editor with the Country Living section of the Irish Farmer Journal. And for those of you who were lucky enough to get this week's journal, you will find that Janine has two very interesting articles. And we are now going to have a little chat about them. Good morning, Janine, and thanks very much for joining us here on AgriPort on Tip FM on this Saturday morning. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. Now, first of all, I suppose we might as well tell our listeners that this is not a Tipperary accent that you have, even though you are <laughs> living in Tipperary, but you hail all the way from Canada. That's right. I'm celebrating almost 11 years now in Ireland. I moved here when I was pregnant with my first child. My husband is from Temple Tui. He's a Temple Tui native. And so we have a farm up here. We're dairy farmers. And I'm originally from Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada. Somebody from Canada coming in the other direction. I thought a lot of Irish people are going in the <laughs> other direction. But anyway, yeah. let's get down to the reason I have you here. And I want to thank you for joining us. And that is you have an article about the right to repair movement. Yes. Anything with two right. R's can be very difficult to uh, <laughs> pronounce from time to time. So now will yes, you uh, tell us what this is all about. Absolutely. So this is a new directive from the European Union. Uh, in November of 2023, uh, European Parliament overwhelmingly passed, uh, passed this draft legislation. And it's basically for new rules, which is going to make it easier for consumers to repair their uh, electronic goods, their um, electrical goods, their appliances. And uh, and basically, I mean, this is kind of a throwaway culture we're living in, right? So farmers uh, and country folk, your listeners will definitely, uh, I think, relate to this because farmers were the original kind of right to repair people. Farmers hate throwing anything away and they will repair it until it absolutely can't be repaired anymore. And so hopefully in the next two years, because directives, uh, once they're passed, uh, directives take two years, then like member states will have two years to actually put this into their law and, and put it into motion. So by 2026, we hope to see these new rules uh, for Irish consumers to help protect them, but also to help save them money. And I mean, we've all been there, Jim. Uh, I had a Hoover a few weeks ago and I, I, I loved that Hoover and it was only two years old and something happened to it. And now there's no, you know, there's no local repair person. You have to send it to a central hub, which is the same brand as the Hoover. And then you wait weeks and then you pay almost as much as it would cost to buy a new Hoover to get that one fixed. Um, and it's not just Hoovers, it's everything. You know, there are so many electrical devices, your phones, your televisions, your smart TVs now. All of these things are easier to replace currently than they are to repair. And so they're trying to make these changes uh, to kind of support our circular economy goals. And look, at it's about time somebody did something about it because, uh, you know, you need only go to your recycling facility 
and see the amount of electrical goods that are have been scrapped. And it's absolutely, absolutely. it's frightening. It's shocking. Yeah, it's shocking. And appliances too. I mean, how many of us know what happens to our washer and dryer when they when they break and when you have someone collect it? Even if someone brings, you know, if you work with, uh, or if you buy your, your new washer mm-hmm. from uh, an appliance supplier and they say, oh, we'll take your old one and recycle it. We're not sure what that actually looks like or what that means as everyday consumers. We've really lost touch with that kind of element of um, of restoring things that have been broken. And I'm quite sure it is no different in Temple Dewey, but I'm only just outside Thurless on the other side. And I can tell you one thing. There was the man that fixed everything in every single parish. There was one just down the road from where I'm living. He'd fix anything. It didn't matter what it was. It could be the radio. It could be the television. It could have been the mowing bar. He was invaluable to society. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And And we hope that that's going to happen again. We hope that those people are going to be in our communities once more. Um, And I mean, we're very blessed on our farm. My father-in-law is an excellent mechanic. He can fix anything mechanical that's broken down, basically. My husband got really (laughs) kind of angry when the Hoover broke. And he said, "What? I'm going to try and fix this myself. And so we ordered a part on Amazon. And once he put it in, because it was a generic part, it didn't work. It was just, we ended up spending even more getting the part and then it not working and then having to buy new Hoover in the end. And a lot of people experience those kinds of things where they get angry because we don't want to have to throw away our things, especially if they're less or if they're two years old or if they're less than two years old. And really the European warranty is two years. Um, And so, you know, anything outside of those two years, you're going to have to pay to repair. If it's within the two years, then you might be okay, depending on what the uh, actual damage is. But um, again, this new directive will hopefully change that. It will make things easier as well for consumers to have their appliances fixed outside of that two-year guarantee. So if it's three or four or five years old, you'll still be able to try and get an affordable fix for whatever is broken. Well, let's say to my my listeners now, let's watch this space and maybe hopefully we'll be talking about it in two years' time. Moving yeah, on, well, hopefully. Moving on to uh, the second item you have, and that's Crop Reprieve Project. It's built around this week in particular, St. Bridges Day. Yeah, it's very relevant because actually it's, uh, it's a really fascinating project taking place at UCD, and it's kind of under the Earth Institute uh, where they do a lot of kind of cross-sectional, intersectional research, which means basically, you know how in, uh, you know, academics can kind of be in their little bubbles, right? Mm-hmm. There's the philosophers in one section, there's the scientists in the other, there's the plant scientists, there's the botanists, there's, and they don't really cross paths and they don't really share their research. But this project is really fascinating because it's taking archaeobotany, which is the study of, you know, it's basically archaeology, but they're looking at plant samples and food samples from, you know, ancient times, Mm -hmm. which is really difficult because it's hard to find food obviously breaks down. And so it's really hard to find traces of uh, food and examples of what we were eating and growing. So they're taking archaeobotany and they're combining it with modern plant science. And they're looking at what crops we used to grow in ancient times in Ireland and looking to see how we can revive those native crops because they're quite resilient uh, to climate change and other dis- different things, disease and all of that kind of stuff. And are they that resilient to because conventional crop management would tell us that most of the seeds that we now use, they seem to be all susceptible to some 
form of disease. Yeah, and uh, they say that heritage crops, um, it's not just the actual crop itself, although that they are, they tend to be quite resilient because they've no, they've they've kind of changed with our changing climate over those 6,000 years that we've been farming in Ireland. And so uh, they've already adapted to changing climates in the past, and they're more resilient to be able to change to adapting climates in the future. Also, they were saying that the crops that we grew back then were really diverse. And basically that means they had, you know, different populations of crops growing within the same area, which also is, is quite good in terms of resilience to climate or weather events or those kinds of things, um, water logging, you know, the kind of things that we're seeing today, increasing in flooding, drought, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so these two researchers, Sonia and Mariel, they're both with UCD. One's a plant scientist. She's looking at her kind of research goes around um, climate change resilience in crops and then Mariel is the archaeobotanist and she's looking at she has all of these samples from from thousands and thousands of years ago she finds little samples of food from um, the hearth like if they're on a dig they'll usually either find it in the hearth where the fireplace was or in the toilet pit so they're able to see what we were eating and what we were growing they have a really good idea of what farming looked like uh, basically in the time of St. Bridget. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting, really and truly. And I suppose we'll watch this space as well, because if they can in some way get back to what would have been the original wheat seed that we had, or pea seed, or for that matter, uh, rye as well, mm-hmm. um, they might be able to and now produce them with and be more disease resistant than uh, what we have at the moment and a lot of us are not very happy with GM and Mm -hmm. so if we can get back to basics we might Mm -hmm. be able to have a world free of uh, GM or at least Ireland free from GM modified absolutely Mm. and a lot of what these researchers are doing is on the ground interviewing with farmers they Mm. want to know why we stopped growing things like this which we like as farmers we kind of have a really good idea right the market kind of dictates what we've been growing over the years and what's been profitable but they want to know there are actually still farmers who are growing these this emmer wheat this rye these peas there's still farmers who are growing them they want to know why those farmers continue to grow them and really it's for those reasons that you just outlined many of them are smaller farmers or organic farmers they're into seed saving um, and they're into the heritage of what they're doing and so uh, some of them actually I spoke to one farmer in particular and he was he originally started growing it because it's very strong uh, for thatching Mm -hmm. uh, and it makes really good straw for thatching and so that's kind of why he originally started growing uh, grain and then he just got into the whole seed saving aspect of it. So there are different reasons why farmers are doing it now. There are many, obviously, big reasons why they don't grow these things anymore. But hopefully we can come to some kind of uh, convergence there where we are taking the things that were naturally very resilient to climate change and adapting them to modern day practices. OK, well, look, at I want to thank you ever so much, Janine, for joining us this morning. It's all very, very exciting. And let's hope that these two projects develop in the years to come. And I want, thank to, ta- I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. That listeners was Janine Kennedy, who is a feature features editor with the Country Living section of the Farmer's Journal. And if you want to know more about it, why not go out and buy the journal And maybe you bought it, but you haven't opened the country living section, so why not do that? 
That, listeners, is AgriPort for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Dewar presents Down Your Way, which comes from Ard Finnan.